Good evening to everybody. It's good to see you, and uh, I want to welcome those who are visiting with us and those who weren't able to be here this morning that are joining us tonight. It's good to, good to have everybody together uh, where we can worship God in song and study His Word together. Uh, the Reynolds family were mentioned a minute ago, and they're friends of me and my family for a good while. It's good to see them, appreciate their place in the kingdom and the work they're doing. And uh, Anna was baptized just a few days ago, I think. Word, word was spread all the way through Facebook world. And my wife told me all about that, and we're sure happy for her and, and uh, pray for her life and growth in the kingdom of God. I've, I mentioned this morning, I want to just say that I've been invited to come here to Lakeside with a specific calling. I, I've been asked to speak on the subject of eldership, and all of these lessons will be along those lines. Tonight, we want to talk about the qualifications of an elder, and so we'll be reading again from 1 Timothy chapter 3, and so you'll want to mark your Bible there. That's not where we'll start, but we're going to talk about the, the qualifications some. We, we started this series where I, I hope it's the right place, and, and that is to remind us that God wants all of us to be eager workers. And to recognize that he's given gifts to all of us. He has invested himself in us, and he wants us to be active in response to what he's given to us. And so no one can say, oh, I have nothing I can contribute, and, and look with some imagination at what somebody else can do and say, let them do that. That's not the way the people of God are to think and to work. <clears throat> and then we talked about, well, let's, let's look at the work of an elder. What's he supposed to do? And uh, we, we talked a good bit about his shepherding work and his leading work, his examples, his, his uh, knowledge of the Scriptures and his ability and his willingness to uh, contend with false teachers and his ability to use the Word so as to urge people, to exhort people, to move them from point A to point B where God wants them to go. And there is a skill that's required in doing that. And he's got to always be at work learning how to do that in a good way. So there is so much about his work that deals with personal relationships. And I want you to keep that in mind as we read and talk some more about the qualifications tonight. And then following this lesson, then the Lord willing, tomorrow night, we'll talk about the church's relationship to elders, and then where do elders come from. And then the last lesson in this series uh, will... Uh, uh, it's a lesson I call an elder's wish list. What what I have found that it, it really is, it's a, a look into the heart of elders. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you what's there, at least as as I have um, inquired about that from others. And I, and I, and I, I hope that will be a helpful uh, and appropriate way to close our, our series. I thank you for your prayers before this meeting began and, and since. And, and I, I hope that you'll keep praying for this church and God's plan for it to have shepherds, qualified shepherds, to oversee uh, you and the work here. Keep praying that that will be the case. Um, Josh has a big job here. He's got to preach the word. And as he does that, he is, his preaching is to stir the hearts of people. And he's supposed to build the kind of building blocks inside of people that help them to grow. He's got to deal with false teaching and show how that's done. And in doing so, he's helping mold what happens in families? I, I hope that there'll be moms and dads who will 
be studying the Bible together, and husbands and wives sit down and pray together, and and convert your children. Don't just take them to church, but but convert their hearts to the Lord, and and be be committed to that with prayer and all the intensity that a mom and dad can bring to bear on that from before that child is born, all the rest of their life. That that is that is the love of your heart to see your children walk with the Lord. And I and I hope that this church will have Bible class class program that intends to do it at the very best level so that this church is fed, that the children are fed. The spiritual growth of people doesn't depend on what happens here at the building. It's supplemented greatly by that. But when there are things going on in the home that are right and good and there's Bible study and prayer, moms and dads helping each other, children being helped by godly parents and and things going here that are right, then there is this environment that that promotes the spiritual development from which elders come. Well, I'll have more to say about that Tuesday night, but 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 that is uh, that is my hope and prayer for this congregation and for your future. I, I know that all of us who have had the the privilege of working in a congregation with qualified elders. If you move from that situation to a place in a situation where there are no elders, then then my guess is that you say, I can't wait for the day that this church will have elders. And I think that is that reflects uh, from a personal experience our our understanding of the difference that happens in a church that is that has oversight, that does its work, that's serious about it and prayerful about it. They, they take the spiritual work of God and they move it forward with the urgency that is appropriate to something as important as the work of God. And sometimes that work is slowed down and it's uh, sometimes frustratingly so. And when there are Christians who know how this work could be done, they cry out and they pray for the day that elders would be appointed to serve a local congregation. I think such... Such feelings are not all, not only reflect personal experience, but they they put an exclamation point at the end of what the Bible says. I mean, this is God's plan. It's not just our subjective experience comparing one situation to another. This is God's plan, and we are right to want that. We are right to pray about that. We are right to talk to our brothers about these things, and for husbands and wives to. Can we do this? Can our family serve in this way? If those are right things because it's God's plan. So we're we are moving, I know, in a, in a way, in, in, on a subject that has God's approval. I'd like for you to turn in your Old Testaments, first of all. We'll get to 1 Timothy chapter 3 in a moment. But I want to look at, at uh, Psalm 15. I want to read this psalm. And um, talk about this passage and some others. And what I really want to say as here as we begin talking about the qualifications is that it is really possible for God to approve people and to regard them as qualified. And, I, and I'm, I'm beginning to address the question of, well, when you look at these qualifications, is it ever really possible for someone to be qualified? God thinks so. That's why he gave them. They are, they are qualifications. They, 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 they set someone as qualified for this work. And God thinks they can be. And our job is to 
think like God and to recognize, as God does, a man qualified to serve and encourage him to do so. Now, Psalm 15 is an interesting passage because in verse 1, it talks about those who abide in God's tent or those who dwell on his holy hill. And the last phrase in verse 5, um, those who do these things will never be shaken. Now, what I want you to uh, think about with me for just a moment is that this psalm is talking about people who are qualified to do this. Psalm 15 describes people who are qualified to abide in the tent of the Lord and to dwell on His holy hill and who will never be shaken. Now let's read what those qualifications are. And, and I want, by the time we're finished, I hope it is abundantly obvious that God surely thinks there are people who are qualified. And I want to simply say that, okay, the Bible talks about, in fact, a number of situations that require some qualification to it. Not just elders. There are a number of examples. And, and so our, our mindset should be that there are men who can qualify and we should see them qualified as God sees them qualified. Okay, here's what it says. O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks with integrity and works with works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. He does not put his put out his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. Now you can count those this uh, the points in this passage uh, your way. I counted eleven different qualifications for those who dwell in the in the tent of God. And these are, these are things that, that someone can do, can be like this, and can thus be qualified for the kind of blessings the Lord here talks about. Look over in Acts chapter 6. Look at, at this example and then talk about another and let that be that for this point so you can explore this idea some more. In Acts chapter 6, there are some, there, there is a work for which that needs to be done, and men need to be qualified to do that work. Now, let's notice what the work is. Let's notice the qualifications and find out that, lo and behold, men can meet the qualifications set forth by God. Now, at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were overlooked in the daily, in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, verse 3, Brethren, select from among yourselves seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, and then the six other men are listed there at the end of verse 5. And verse 6 says, 
And these were brought to the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. Okay, um, there, there's work that needs to be done. Widows are over, or have been neglected, and serving them needs to be attended to. Choose seven men, and here are their qualifications. And the, and the Christians looked among themselves and identified seven men who met those qualifications and appointed them to serve. And it was a blessing to the work and to the gospel. And the word of the Lord's word of the gospel spread greatly. Number of disciples was multiplied. If there are Christians who, who, who think or at least maybe betray in their behavior that that the qualifications set forth by the Holy Spirit for an elder are really sort of unattainable. Or if any, any person is ever set before a congregation, they are treated as though no one can ever meet these qualifications. I, I, I simply want to say that that is not the thinking of God about other areas that require um, qualifications to be met. And so our, our challenge, our responsibility is... To, to look at and to judge people as God does with the, with the kindness and patience and gentleness that God judges us as well. Second Peter chapter 1 verses 1 through 11 is another passage that you might want to look at, uh, that's describing, uh, work that needs, that can be done and those who are qualified to do it. Now I want to ask you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And as we did this morning, I'd like to read these qualifications. And then in light of the work of an elder that we talked about this morning, I'd like for us to discuss these qualifications and see why the Holy Spirit chose them and how they fit so perfectly into the work called upon for an elder to do. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says this. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of an overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer, then, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert so that he will not become conceited or fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. By my count, we've read now 16 qualifications given to overseers uh, presented by Paul to the evangelist Timothy. Turn over toward the end of your New Testament, just a few pages, to Titus chapter 1 and verse 5. Paul says this to Titus. For this reason I left you in Crete, 
that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. And to those two passages, I'd like to add First Peter chapter 5. And so I'd like to ask you to turn over there and we'll read the first four verses of that chapter. First Peter chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Uh, by my count in Titus, there were 19 qualifications named by the apostle there, and we'll see to that list added at least three more from what's said in 1 Peter chapter 5. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. So elders oversee people, they shepherd a church, they exhort, they refute, they live as examples, they are to be humble men, they are to be obedient to Christ, they are to be teachers of what's right, they are to defend what's right, and ultimately their job is not to drive people to heaven, but to lead them as shepherds lead sheep, lead people to heaven. As you look at those qualifications, um, by my count, combined, there were 25 qualifications that are given there. And a couple of just general observations I want to make about them, and then we'll talk some uh, in, in more specific ways about uh, how they're grouped together. These qualifications are needed for the man who would serve as an elder. Each of them is needed for him to do his job well. There are some people, I think, who look at these at these lists and these qualifications as though only a perfect Christian could ever be qualified. And thus, of course, find fault with everyone and end up concluding that no one can be qualified. But then at last, they read the Bible and they say there are elders, and so move from one extreme to the other of finding generally a good man 
and basically ignoring the, or at least some of the specific qualifications in a desire to have a man appointed to serve as an elder. But let me say this. Eventually the consequences of having an elder without some of these qualities will show itself to the detriment of the man, the eldership, and the church. An elder must possess all of these qualities. Now, uh, some of these qualities, in fact, most of these qualities, are, are what I call the, the possession of them is relative. Now, there are some that are not that way. They are more absolute. Maybe some that would fall into that latter category would be, well, is he the husband of one wife? Does he have children? I mean, those are, those are pretty straightforward. I, I don't mean that there, there are not controversies that surround those qualifications. I know that there are. And, and the, each, those, those things have to be thought through and congregation have to study them through. But, but they are basically, they're, they're stating absolute things. But many of these qualities are relative. That is, they can be possessed in varying degrees. I want you to really think about this. They can be possessed in varying degrees. What does it mean for a man to be apt to teach? It means that he is to be skilled at teaching. He is to be good at it. He needs to know how to effectively communicate Bible teaching into the heart of people. He is effective at doing it. Well, what does that mean? Do you, do you grade the teachers and, and the one at the very top is qualified to serve as an elder? And, and is, is he a perfect teacher? Have you ever had a class that didn't go very well? And how, how do you, you see, you see, okay, I see the smiles. You, you know what I'm talking about. The same can be said for being gentle or patient. Or how does a man, how do you know if a man manages his household well? Does that mean that there are, there are no bumps in the road in marriages? Or no bump, or in, in, in his marriage, there's no bumps in the road as his children grow up and they make no mistakes? Or parents make no mistake raising their children? Is, is that, is that what we're talking about here? I, 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 I surely hope that a right thinking Christian would immediately recognize that that's not the way that that, that qualification is to be understood. But what I, what I do want to say is that that qualification must be, there must be evidence within his family that he knows how to manage his family well. And he is not a new convert. Okay, well, how, how long do you have to be a Christian not, in, order to, in order to not be a new convert? And so many of these qualities, in fact, most of these qualities are are relative or maybe there's a better word for that but they are um they are qualities in which a man clearly must grow and will be be in the process of growing all of their life 
You'll always become a better teacher. You'll always be working to handle things with your family well. And I can tell you when your children are away from home, it doesn't change. You you have to shift gears and your dad credentials look a little different, but you're still a dad. And and and, and so this, this work will, will always be going. You'll always be working at it. And so the, the question that I think really needs to be asked in regard to these is, does the man being considered possess these qualities? Are, are they present? Is it evident in him? Realizing that improvement must always be taking place That's the way he lives his life. That's the way we all live our lives. We're working and we're growing. So understanding that, the question is, do these qualities, are they present? Is is this man gentle? I'm not asking if he is 100% in every situation, all the time, going back to whenever. Gentle? That's not what we're asking. But when we understand that quality, the question is, is is that quality present in this man? And, And is he growing in this area? And is he patient and, and so, so forth throughout the other of these qualifications? So, uh, we must understand that an elder must possess all of these qualities, but with, but with many of them, we must accept varying degrees of proficiency or accomplishment in these, uh, in these levels of attainment. And I I want to say that not suggesting at all that we're settling for something less than the best. That's not what I believe and that's not what I want to say. In fact, what I really want to say is exactly what the Holy Spirit calls upon us to recognize. That it is the very nature of these qualities that compel us to embrace with faith that these qualities are things that, that men will be growing in. And we're happy that that's the case. And varying degrees of proficiency is in harmony with the will of God. And it is not a matter of a church settling for something other than what they could uh, or some might wish for. So there's those two things that I really wanted to say about these qualities in a, in a general way that a man serving as an elder must possess all of these qualities and that we must handle them in the way each of these is described by the Holy Spirit. Does the man possess these qualities? Now let's look at these qualifications for just a little bit and I want to kind of break them up and talk about them in, in, in categories, if you will. So you can look at these qualifications in uh, 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 5, as I discuss them if, if you'd like. And the first thing I want to talk about is his character. An elder is a man who deals with people. And a, a friend of mine a long time ago once said that you can't teach what you don't know and you can't lead where you don't go. You can't teach what you don't know, you can't lead what you, you can't teach what you don't know, you can't lead where you don't go. And and an elder is a man who is working with people to lead them to heaven, to shepherd them toward fellowship with God. 
So he deals with people. He helps move them. Sometimes he has to move people who don't realize they need to move or they don't want to move. And so he must have, as a part of his character, the ability to deal well with that without becoming angry, without becoming uh, uh, rude or rough in dealing with people. But he must, his character must uh, mesh well with that responsibility of moving people. He is to be wise, then, in his dealings with people. He knows how to talk to people and work with them. He's not a loner. Not out there by himself. He doesn't prefer to be without the company of people. But he is trying to learn how to work and move people in the right way. He is self-controlled and he is watchful of what might become a danger. So he's watchful of his temper. He's watchful of situations. If if the right combination of, of situations often creates problems for him, he is alert to that and tries to be careful not to walk into situations that might present problems for him. His personal life helps his work. His heart and his love are in the right place. Again, we're not talking about a perfect man. We're talking about the kind of man Paul described as of himself in Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 12 and on down through verse 15. This one thing I am pressing on. I've not attained it yet, but I am pressing on. That's the kind of man we're talking about here. That's the kind of man Paul described himself as. So it's not hard to listen to a man who is trying who is sincerely trying to serve the Lord and wants you to serve the Lord too. It's not hard to listen to him. In fact, it's hard not to. You see his love. You see his, he's not pretending. He's not trying to pretend to be somebody he's not. He's transparent. He needs the Lord. And he knows you do too. And he loves you enough to talk to you about that. And if there's a problem... He's trying to find the right way to do that. He doesn't want to hurt you. He doesn't want to push you away. He wants you to be strong. He wants you to be faithful. He wants you to hold on. Hang in there. And when the man's character, molded in the way the Holy Spirit describes here, and when his character is like that, it makes him so much more effective in doing the work that God's called him to do. Uh, uh, An elder is to be a leader. But I want to be very careful about that. I've heard the criticism of elders that sometimes do their work as though they are a board of directors or they're a manager of a company or, you know, they're imposing on a church the business world model and mentality. That really is a criticism that if it exists, it needs to be leveled. Because the truth of the matter is, biblical leadership is countercultural. Biblical leadership is servant leadership. Or as J.B. Myers has said it, uh, he said it this way, all leaders in the church, including elders, are to be servant leaders and not Lord leaders. So how do you, how do you become a servant leader? That's, that's what The leadership in the kingdom of God is like. It's modeled by the king himself who washed the feet of his disciples and who gave himself for the welfare of others and emptied himself so that others could be full. I mean, that's, that's that's what servant leadership is like. And we so walk with the Lord 
We so listen to his teaching. We so pray to him and about these things that over time it is Christ who lives in us. The things that so perfectly filled Christ begin to fill us. And we see our lives in every, all of us, in, in everything that we, we are servants of others. And a man comes to being, to this work of an elder, aspiring to nothing other than to serve other people. So this idea that a, a disciple gets a promotion, and he becomes a deacon. And then after a while he gets another promotion, and he becomes an elder. And when he becomes an elder, he has really arrived at sort of the, the highest uh, level of attainment among the church of Christ. I want to say, I absolutely would ever favor my being disagree with that notion. An elder is doing what any other Christian is doing. He is taking who he is and what he has the opportunity to do, and he is putting it on the line. And hoping that every brother and every sister in that congregation is doing the exact same thing. And when we all look at what we have the opportunity to do, sometimes with our families and sometimes independent of our families, but whatever we can do and we put it on the line, that's, that's the way churches work. And that's the way elders are working. This is not a promotion. This is not a, a high rank anywhere. Our highest calling, our highest calling is to, is to be a citizen in the kingdom of God. It's exactly where, where our heart is. And as that happens, then, then Lord, take us and use us. Because I am yours and I'll do whatever you want me to do. And when that mentality is at work, there'll be men who'll serve as elders. And wives who will help that be possible. And children who will help that be possible. There will be deacons and every other work in the, in the Lord's church publicly and otherwise. Uh, those needs will be met. So leadership here is extremely important. But it is a counter-cultural kind of leadership. So uh, uh, an elder learns in his work of leadership to listen, to understand to think before he speaks, to understand an issue before he responds to it. He is patient and he is gentle, but with, without ever abandoning his responsibility to lead. And he understands that and he doesn't shy away from that. Let me talk for just a minute now about an elder's, an elder's family. You notice as we read this that there was a, a number of things said about uh, his family. And, and certain things need to be in place for him to serve. He needs to be a married man. And that marriage needs to be in harmony with the will of God. He needs to be a man who has children. And those children need to be handled in a way consistent with the will of God. And he needs to show some skill with these things. That he, is, he understands the will of God and he translates divine teaching into practical relationships. And you can see that in his marriage. And you can see that in his children. And a church looks at that, and they, they, they see that he, he takes gifts from God, and he handles them well. And he helps people go to heaven. He helps people go in the right way. And a church looks at that, 
And that allows them to have confidence that He'll influence us the same way. He'll help us go to heaven. I know He can. Because I see what's happening in His family. I see, I see, I see what's going on there. And Him and the others who are equally qualified, they can shepherd a local church and help people go to heaven. And a church is so confident and so excited to benefit from blessings that come that way. This, um, this man is a proven man. He, ha- he has a track record, and I've kind of described that already, uh, a track record that he knows how to handle difficult situations. He knows how to work with people to move them from point A to point B. And a church then learns to trust him. A man may be in the midst of trying to help his children become Christians. A man might be in a situation where he is trying to help his wayward children return to the Lord. We would expect from him nothing other than his heart is in that with ever with all that he's got he's trying he's trying to help his children become christians or bring them back to the lord that that's what we would expect to be in his heart but such a man needs to be free to do what every christian tries to do to save a soul and serving as an elder with these kinds of concerns pressing is not very considerate to what that kind of work demands. And to say that such a man is not qualified now to serve as an elder simply frees him to do what every member of the church knows he's going to do, and that is to try to help his children become convert them to the Lord and help them return to the Lord so that he may be qualified to serve in this way or other ways later. A properly turned heart to the Lord is always seeking the salvation of others and to bring those who are wayward back to Christ. And so the characteristics and the family characteristics need to stand out as qualities that are already existing, that are already true, and are already obvious. If a man presents himself as a qualified man only in light of a congregation appointing elders, beware of that man. Beware of that man. The kind of man who will be appointed to serve as an elder in a congregation is a man who, who will, you'll, you'll have already seen these qualities at work in his life. Coming up, this is his character. This is his family. This is who he is. This is what he's doing. So it doesn't, there's not a a switch that's flipped and now this man is now qualified to serve. These men will distinguish themselves long before they're appointed as men who control their temper, who have developed a reputation with those outside the church, who know the scriptures and know how to handle them. Who deal gently with people and control, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're, they don't handle things 
with fighting and arguing about things. They'll have shown those qualities long before and independent, altogether independent of this matter of whether or not he is going to serve as an elder. Becoming an elder has nothing to do with whether or not he's going to be diligently working on these things. This is who he is, and he'll distinguish himself long before any considerations like this is made by a congregation. And I've mentioned already something about his reputation. Uh, even outsiders respect this man, not because he's a perfect man, but because they have seen that he has handled even wrongs, he has handled them in the right way. And that earns nothing but respect from those who watch him at work. The result is he is an example worthy of following. And he is a, he is a man who is relatable and people will listen to him because they know, they know he understands the struggles and they, they've watched him as he has tried to follow the Lord. Such a man by his example carries much weight and influence. I've talked already about service and there being servant leadership. But a man who serves as an elder must desire to serve as an elder. He must like it. He is not to be a man who complains because it's hard or because it's solitary or no one really understands. He doesn't complain because no one knows how late at night he stays up or the things he agonizes about. Such a, such a man who wants to make a big deal out of those things, be careful. He must desire this work with a maturity, with, with spiritual maturity. He can be trusted to handle church matters that are entrusted to him. Because he has managed other things that have been entrusted to him. And I'm not talking just about his family, though I've already covered that. But he's been entrusted with money. And he's been entrusted with reputation. And the track record of his life is that he handles those things properly. He's not a lover of money. He uses it to the glory of God. In fact, he uses it quite wisely. But he's not a lover of it. He works hard to study the Bible. To know what it says and to teach it to others. He tries to learn how to communicate effectively and to demonstrate some measure of skill at teaching God's Word and and always learning to do better at this. This man is a servant. And he serves as a teacher. He serves as an example. And he serves the church as one who embraces the work of an elder, this Exhausting work of an elder, he embraces it uh, happily and faithfully. Jude verse 3 describes this faith that is one time for all time delivered and that we are Christians are to contend earnestly for the faith. An elder must be willing to do that. He respects revealed faith and he's willing to contend for it lest it be defeated or overwhelmed in any place or anyone's lives. He personally urges brethren in right teaching, and he cares enough about the truth to oppose those who contradict it. In character, in family, in reputation, in service, in faith, 
the qualities, the qualifications of an elder come to bear in at least these 25 specific ways to show us a man that a local church and the Lord Himself sees as qualified to shepherd the souls of people as they move from this earth toward heaven. Do you, do you have a picture in your mind of the kind of man the Holy Spirit is asking us to look, look for? I'd like to stop and ask that question again and ask you to think about that. Do you have a picture in your mind of the kind of man we're talking about here? Christ does. The Holy Spirit does. And there were a plurality of qualified men in nearly every church in New Testament times and where there weren't, where they weren't appointed, people like Timothy and Titus were to keep teaching so as to appoint such men. I want us to see what they saw and to see what the Holy Spirit saw as men are qualified to serve. I hope you'll see that these men are not perfect and that you'll not, you'll not expect them to be or handle them as though you think that they are or should be. But that these are men who possess these qualities and are growing in them. Such men need to be developed and encouraged. Their hands need to be held up. You need to pray for them. You need to talk to young people and to young couples and encourage them to think about serving the Lord as elders as they grow older and as their family matures. So, so they can be developed, uh, so they can be appointed to, to serve local congregations and to help people go to heaven. What a blessing God's plan is for God's people in every generation. I know that it's the desire of this congregation to have elders, and it is the desire of the Holy Spirit that you have elders, shepherds of this congregation, uh, to help you grow in this work to go forward. I appreciate you thinking about these things, looking at these qualifications, so that now, as this day is over, we are all ready to work and serve going full bore, taking whatever God's given us and putting it to work. We have a sense of what the work of an elder is, the realm of his responsibilities. And now we have, we've had an opportunity to reflect on what the qualifications are that allow a man to successfully do that work. Now, we put those things together, and we seek such people in local congregations, and we help those kinds of people develop to serve the Lord in this generation and in the generations to come. This evening, if you've not ever become a Christian and a child of God, you've not heard the gospel that's gripped your heart and convicted you of sin and caused you to cry out for the deliverance that comes from God, but if you are there, if you... If you know you need the Savior and if you're, the, the sins in your life have broken your heart, come to the one who can deliver you from that, Jesus Christ, the Savior and the Lord. Take away your sins and to bring a new life and new birth uh, to you. Join yourself with others who have done the same thing, a local church that belongs to Christ, seeking to do collectively what you're trying to do individually. You're trying to do what the Lord, what, speak Lord, your servant is hearing. Join yourself with people who are trying to do the same thing and help them go to heaven. If you've drifted away from serving the Lord 
in, in the faithful, diligent way you ought to, maybe publicly and certainly privately, uh, repent of that, beg His forgiveness, and pledge the heart that day by day awakens to step forward and do the Lord's will uh, with your day and with your life. If we can help you in some way tonight to respond to the Lord and to His invitation, to His calling, let us know while we stand to sing this song.